Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15. As you turn in there, uh, I'll just say I've, I've been preaching lately through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, but we're going to pause on that for just one Sunday. Uh, I think it is probably good when we're working through a book to take a little break. Uh, every now and then, a little change of pace. We didn't do that enough through the book of Luke. So a little change of pace today. And over the past couple years, the Lord has been doing something significant in my own life. And I've learned that as a pastor, uh, when the Lord does something in my life, it's typically not just for me, uh, but it's also for uh, many others in my church family. Uh, So I asked the elders if I could this Sunday speak on the thing the Lord's been doing in my heart a little bit over the last couple years. They gave me the go-ahead, so uh, that's what we'll do here this morning. We looked at John 15 a little bit last summer when I spoke about abiding in Jesus, but we're going to zero in today on just one particular aspect of this passage. We'll read the first six verses here in John 15, but then just kind of focus in on the first two verses, and we're going to spend our time this morning thinking about the pruning of God. When Jesus originally spoke these words here in John 15, he was at the Last Supper with 11 of his original disciples. Judas Iscariot had just left the room to go and betray Jesus. And Jesus now, at this Last Supper with his 11 disciples, gave this teaching. Let's pray before we read. Well, Father, the... Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Jesus, you have said, my grace is sufficient for us, for your power is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Lord, this is an opportunity this morning for me to boast in weakness. And I just ask for your help in doing it. Father, I believe that is true leadership modeled by the Apostle Paul that we boast in our weaknesses in order that Christ may see, may look to be the great Savior He is. So, Father, I just ask for help this morning. I ask for courage. Thank you, Father, for my church family. Thank you for these people who love me. And I thank you for an opportunity to uh, walk in fellowship with them this morning, to walk in the light. We know that's where true life is found. It's not found in in a a hidden life of hypocrisy. It's found in a true life of authenticity. So, Father, I pray that this morning, in appropriate measure, you'd help me to boast in my weakness. And, Father, you would exalt Jesus to be the amazing Savior He is. We thank you for it in the name of Christ. Amen. John 15, verse 1, Jesus, the words of Jesus, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. 
Because of the word that I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Amen. So Jesus there, we've been over that before. He just gives us a very simple picture there of a vine and these little branches. And Jesus says there that he is the vine. Uh, The true vine, Jesus says. He is the one and only true life-giving vine. It's only in connection with Jesus that you find true life. He is the vine, and he says here that his disciples are the branches. He's looking out at these 11 disciples, and these men at this point in time, man, they are little branches connected now to the one true vine by a living faith. And and that right there is what every true disciple of Jesus is. Uh, Every true disciple is a branch vitally connected to Jesus, the one true life giving vine. If, if you're here this morning and you have truly repented of your sin and you, you now trust in Christ in faith for the forgiveness of your sin and you truly seek to follow Jesus Christ in faith, well, listen, as a disciple, you're a branch. <laughs> That's what you are. A little branch, man, tucked into the side of Jesus, vitally connected to Jesus Christ through a living and breathing faith. And, and once you're truly connected to Jesus by faith, well, you just naturally begin to bear fruit in your life. You don't have to try to muscle up and bear fruit. You just bear fruit by, by, by virtue of your identity, by virtue of your connection to, to Christ. The, the life-giving sap of Jesus is now flowing within your veins. The Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus lives within within you, and you now begin to bear new fruit in your life, begin to look and taste more like Jesus in your words and in your actions, you begin to bear more fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not perfect, but you start to bear more fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, the Spirit in you now begins to produce in you more love, more joy, More peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. And you know what those fruits of the Spirit are? Those are Jesus. That's who He is. And Jesus now begins to show up on your surface because you're simply connected to Him by faith. And listen, the all-important key for you now as a branch connected to Jesus, the all-important key for you is that you would abide in Jesus. That's what Jesus says there in John 15. He doesn't tell you to focus on bearing fruit. He says, just abide in me. That's it. Abide in me and you will 
bear fruit. That's the key. You, you need to stay close to Jesus like a little branch clinging to a vine. You need to feed on Jesus. You suck on the sap of the vine daily, feeding on Jesus in his word, feeding on Jesus in prayer, feeding on Jesus in Christian fellowship with brothers and sisters. You feed on Jesus and you follow Jesus. You stay close to him. You do what he tells you to do. You seek to obey him. You feed on him. You follow him. You abide in him and as you abide in him Jesus promises there in John chapter 15 verse 5 whoever abides in me he will bear much fruit period the the, the key is abiding in Christ he who abides in Christ you will bear much fruit Jesus is the vine believers are the branches and Jesus says there in verse 2 that God the father is the vine dresser. God the Father is the one who watches over the vine and these little branches. God the Father cares for the vine and the branches. God tends the vine and the branches and he prunes the little vine and the branches. And the Father, as a vine dresser, he does two primary things. If you look at verse 2 again, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, the Father prunes that it may bear more fruit. The first thing the Father does, the branches in Jesus that bear no fruit at all, God the Father eventually removes them. Verse 6 says that they're ultimately burned, thrown into the fire, gathered up and thrown into the fire. And I think Jesus, when he taught that right there, I think Jesus was probably thinking of Judas Iscariot, who had just left the room. People like Judas Iscariot, the nominal Christians in our world, Christians in name only, people who say that they're followers of Christ, they might look on the surface like they're followers of Christ, but deep down in the heart, there's no genuine repentance, no genuine faith in Christ. Internally, they have not yet truly been connected to the life-giving sap of the vine. They are false disciples. They are dead branches bearing no genuine fruit whatsoever in their lives and the father will eventually remove them like Judas who was just removed by the father from the original disciples just a minute before Jesus gave this teaching he was a dead branch and the second thing the vine dresser does here he doesn't just take away the fruitless branches no verse 2 every branch that does bear fruit the father prunes that it might bear more fruit and that right there is a promise from Jesus the eternal son of God if you're here this morning and you do have a genuine childlike faith in Jesus Christ you're truly seeking to follow Jesus in your life you are already bearing a little genuine fruit of Jesus in your life well Jesus just made a promise to you right there a promise that will not fare that that will not fail and here's his promise to you God the Father will prune you God the Father will prune you God the Father will prune you. Why? Because he loves you. Because you're his little precious branch. He loves you. And he will not leave you the way he found you. But he will work upon you. He will tend to you. He will care for you. 
He will prune you, conform you more to the image of his own son Jesus, which will be glorifying to him, and it will bring you eternal joy. God the Father, a promise from Jesus. God the Father, the vine dresser, he will prune you. And I, I know a lot of Christians understand that, that God will, will prune them. Prune them. But, but let me ask you, what does that look like? What does that look like exactly for God the Father to prune you? What does that feel like? How does God do it? I've got two simple points for you today. Number one, God prunes you deep. God the Father, the vine dresser who loves you dearly, He will prune you deep. And I think we sometimes think of God's pruning in some, in some pretty superficial ways. We kind of think we kind of picture God as just sort of doing some external behavior modification in our lives. You, you have certain behaviors in your life that don't look or, or taste like Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're too quick to, to get angry. You're, you're easily irritated. Maybe you're harsh at times with other people. You're, you're impatient. Maybe, maybe you gossip. Maybe you have a tendency to complain or to, to grumble. Maybe you have a tendency to control and manipulate other people. Maybe you have a tendency to people please. Maybe you steal. Maybe you're very, very deceitful in your life. Maybe you cheat. Maybe you get drunk. Maybe you sin sexually in some way. Some bad fruit in your life, bad behaviors in your life that don't look or taste like Jesus. And I think we envision that the vine dresser, God, would just kind of come along and lop off that external fruit (laughs) way at the end of my branch. It just do this superficial pruning, God just performing a very quick behavior modification in my life. The, the Father just comes one day and He convicts you of a certain sin, and then overnight He corrects you of that sin, and the next day you're no longer committing that sin. And man, yes, God can certainly do quick works in our lives. Sometimes He does that, where it's an overnight change and you no longer commit that sin. But you know it doesn't usually work like that? It's usually much, much slower when God does his work to change your fruit. And please listen to me about this. When God comes to prune you as his precious branch, he never, ever, 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 ever does just a superficial pruning in your life. He does not do that. No, God the Father will prune you deep. That's how pruning works. The city of Cottage Grove a couple weeks ago came through my neighborhood. And they pruned the tree in my front yard right next to the street. I didn't actually know they could do that, come through town and prune my tree. But apparently they own the trees that are right next to the street. And they can prune them anytime they want to. And after I got over my initial indignation at what they had done to my tree, I started looking at that tree and thought, man, I've never pruned a tree like that. Because they pruned that sucker deep. I mean, they, they didn't come by my tree and just kind of clip off a couple of the dead leaves on the, still hanging from the tree. No, I mean, they pruned it to the trunk, and they took big limbs off of this thing in their entirety <laughs> away from my tree. Man, my tree, two weeks later, is still leaking sap. <laughs> 
all the way down the trunk of this thing. I seriously thought they'd killed the thing. I I told Molly, I don't know if this thing can last after what they did. On the freezing nights that we've had, we have ended up with sapsicles coming off of the places where they lopped off these trees. This long icicles made up of sap hanging from my tree. And God, in order to change the fruit in your life as his child, well, God's going to prune you deep. He's going to prune you really, really deep. And here's, here's the thing about God. God, when he pruned you as his precious child, he actually goes back to your roots. You ever heard of something called root therapy that they do to trees? You go by and there's a sick tree and they don't just, they don't just prune it up on the surface. They go down to the roots and relieve the soil compaction and put in you know, healthy nutrients and stuff at the roots. A root therapy. And God does root therapy. God prunes deep. God prunes roots. Why? Here it is. Because behind every single bad fruit in your life, behind your sinful tendency to grumble or complain or get angry or be harsh, behind your sinful tendency to sin in any sort of emotional or mental way, behind every single tendency you might have to sin sexually or any any sort of other way, behind every single bad fruit in your life lies a root. And God, in order to change your external fruit, well, God prunes your roots. Listen. There is a reason why you do everything that you do in this life. There is a reason why you do everything you do in this life. It's not just that you have external behaviors. No, you have reasons behind those external Behaviors. It's not just that you produce bad external fruit as a Christian, these, these behaviors. No, there's a reason why you produce the bad fruit. You know, we all sin differently in this life. And there are reasons why we all sin differently. There's a reason why you're prone to anger and I might be prone to self-pity. There's a reason why you might be easily provoked, a reason why I might tend to crumble, why you might live in self-pity, why I might sin in in all kinds of sort of ways. There are reasons underneath, there are roots underneath those external fruits. And God, in order to change your external sin, he doesn't just lop it off. No, God the Father has ways of going back to the root behind your sin Going back to the reasons underneath your sin. God prunes your roots. And in pruning your roots, God changes your fruit. You know, I think a lot of Christians might understand that principle to some degree. Roots and fruits. And that God, in order to fix your external fruit, well, God must prune deep and God must go back to your roots. I think, I think a lot of believers probably understand that. But here's something I, I think a, a lot of believers probably never consider when they think about God and his deep pruning of our roots. And here it is. God, in order to prune you deep, In order to prune your roots, well, God must often prune 
your past. God must prune your past. That's the second point. God prunes you deep. And in order for God to prune you deep, in order for God to prune the very roots of your sin, God must often prune your past. Because here's the thing. On many occasions, the reason why you now sin the way you do in your life, the reason why you now produce the bad fruit that you produce, the roots of many of your present day sins, the roots lie in your past. Many of the roots of your present day sins lie in your past. Your past, the things that were done to you, the things that you did in your past, well, your past to a large degree has shaped who you are today. And the reason, on many occasions, why you are prone to certain sins today, the reasons often lie in your past. Listen, God, God created us, created us human beings to be very complex creatures. That's how He created, created us in the Garden of Eden. We are complex beings with all of these different complex parts, physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, sexual, all of us with, with different personalities and, and makeups. We are very complex beings, and after the fall in the Garden of Eden, we are all now very complex, sinful, and broken being. Sin has affected every last part of your being. And, and the sin within you, even at birth, the sin within you wanted to break out in certain ways. The sin within you did break out in certain ways, even at a young age, screaming, whining, complaining, hitting, biting, kicking. That's how you were born, a complex sinner, a complex broken sinner. And here's the thing, you were also born into a very complex and broken environment. Your, your parents were broken. Your siblings were broken. The neighbors and school buddies around you were broken. The culture around you, broken. A very complex and broken human being born into a very complex and broken environment. And your past, your family, your surroundings, your experiences in your past, well, those things all shaped you in many different ways. Shaped you in some good ways, but also shaped you in many, many bad ways. Your past had a profound impact on the way you sin today. The reasons why you are now prone to sin in one way and I'm prone to sin in very different ways, a lot of those reasons can probably be traced to our different pasts. 
You were a sinner at birth. Your sinful patterns were shaped as you grew up, and you still see and feel fruits of it now in your life, even as a Christian. You were wounded by things in your past. All of us were. It is not a matter of if you were wounded. The question is, how much were you wounded and by whom and by what, in what ways? Physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, sexually? You received as a child, you received some things that you shouldn't have received. And in God's perfect created world, you wouldn't have received those things. And you also, as a child, you received some things. I'm sorry, you didn't receive some things that you should have received in God's perfect created world. Physically, maybe. Maybe you didn't receive Basic, healthy affection from a father, a mother. Maybe you see very few just tender hugs and kisses. Nobody really embracing you physically. Maybe, maybe you did receive some type of physical abuse. Slapped, hit. Spanked in anger. Or emotionally. Maybe you didn't receive just good, healthy, emotional nourishment as a child. Maybe you weren't able to share your emotions in your family. You were told big boys don't cry. And people never really shared their emotions with you other than maybe anger. An emotional abandonment of sorts. Or maybe you received some emotional abuse. People screaming at you. Telling you regularly that you were no good for anything. Or spiritually. Maybe there's some form of spiritual abuse in your home. Just a harsh legalism in your home or something like that. Or sexually. Maybe you didn't receive just healthy talk about sex as a child, and you had to figure it out yourself. Or maybe you received some form of sexual abuse. You received some things as a child that you shouldn't have received. And you didn't receive some things as a child that you should have received. And those past things created wounds. They shaped you to some degree. Shape who you are today to some degree. And you also sinned in the past in some ways that have now shaped you today. And you know, many of the deeper, darker sins we commit as children or in our growing up years, we hide those from people. Never tell anyone about those things. And those sins we committed in the past and those sins we hid, well, those sins now carry some shame in your heart and in your mind. They just do. And they've shaped you to some degree. They impact today the way you sin to some degree. You don't become a Christian in a vacuum. 
You are a person with a past. You are a person who has good in you, by the grace of God, created you in amazing ways, fearfully and wonderfully created, and you're also broken when you come to Christ. And you have experienced the pain of the brokenness. And you don't lose all of that the second you come to Christ. You just don't. Roots were formed in your life, in your past. Things people did and didn't do to you, things you did. Those things shaped you. Roots roots were formed. And your sin now wants to run in particular directions. There's a reason why you sin the way you do today. Behind every bad fruit is a root. And on many occasions, your roots will lie in the past. And if you are a little branch and you are connected to Jesus Christ by faith, then please hear me, God loves you. He loves you. And because He loves you, He's going to prune you deep in order that you might produce more fruit that would be like Jesus and experience the joy that comes from that. And please listen to me. God the Father, in order to prune you deep, will oftentimes go into your past. He must prune your past. He must expose those things from your past. The things that still carry shame for you. The things that still hurt when you think about them. He must go back there and expose them. He must go back there and apply the gospel to them in order that that might be healed. And you then end up producing better fruit. God, because He loves you, He'll prune your roots. I think a lot of I think a lot of people believe that when they first became a Christian at the age of 25 or something, well, they just left their past behind. 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. And man, that's so good. Your past to some degree is gone, right? Well, not all the way. You are a new creation in Christ. You've been forgiven of every single sin. You have a new identity in Christ. You're a loved child of God. And you carried your wounds and your brokenness to Jesus Christ. And He doesn't heal them instantly. Sometimes He does. But most of the time He doesn't. He loves you with your brokenness. He loves you with your wounds. He loves you. Even though those past wounds and brokenness still cause you to produce bad fruit, He loves you. But He's not done with you. And over time, Jesus will begin to work on you, to prune you more into His image, that you might experience the joy that comes from being a child of God. And in order to prune you, He's got to go back down to the roots. He's got to go to your past. You know, contrary to popular belief, time does not heal all wounds. And I, I, think, I think sometimes Christians think it does. If I can just put a lot of distance between me and my past wounds, if I just put a lot of years between me and the people who hurt me, if I just put a lot of years between me and the sins that I committed, will I be healed? 
And you know in your mind that Jesus has forgiven you of those past sins. But they're still there. They've never been opened up to anybody. And you think, well, enough time and time will heal those wounds. But you know all that time typically does to past wounds, whether it's wounds that you created by your sin or wounds that other people created to you. You know all that time typically does to past wounds, it covers them over. They may not feel as raw to you, but they're still there. And they still leak out in the way you sin today. And God must prune your past. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And what is one thing that Jesus does as my shepherd? He restores my soul. He goes back to those places where my soul was crushed by things that I did or other people did to me. And he begins to restore your soul. Beginning to heal the broken places in your soul. You know when the people of Israel came out of Egypt? That's a picture of being saved. They came out of Egypt, man. They're free from slavery. There they are. But do you know what God did for Israel much later down the road at Gilgal? He rolled off the reproach of their slavery. He removed the shame of their slavery for 400 years. The shame that still plagued them even after they'd come out of Egypt. And God then rolled it off of them. And God does the same for his people today. Some of you have been struggling with the same sins for years. Making no progress because you focus solely on the external behaviors. And God wants to take you back to the roots behind those behaviors and restore your soul. And many of the roots behind those behaviors lie in your past. God wants to heal your past. He wants to heal the broken child in you that was wounded in the past by the sins you committed or by the sins that were committed against you. Either in the things that you received that you shouldn't have received or the things you didn't receive that you should have received. God wants to restore your soul. It's part of his pruning. And why am I talking about this? Well, because that's what God's been doing to me over the past couple of years. (laughs) God has very graciously been pruning my past. And I want to tell you a little bit of my story today. Boast in my weakness just a bit here. That is true fellowship, you know, to walk in the light with one another. We're known by one another, and I want you to know me. I want to live an authentic life. I don't want to live a fake hypocritical life. I want to live an authentic life. That's where Christ is found. He's found in the truth. He's found in brokenness, the weakness of our lives. So I'll tell you a little bit. A couple years ago, just backtrack for a bit. A couple years ago, I was seeing some fruit in my life that didn't look great. 
<laughs> Nothing major. Uh, I wasn't out murdering. I, I just tell you, I'll confess that right now. I wasn't out murdering. You would not have found me laying drunk in the gutter somewhere. I was not sleeping around. Nothing like that. Nothing in my life that would disqualify me in any way from pastoral ministry the entire time I've been in pastoral ministry. Just some areas in my life where I knew that I did not look and taste very much like Jesus. I could see it. (laughs) My family could see it. I know they could. Overworking and anxious toil, which I talked about with you last summer. A weak prayer life, which I talked about with you last summer. Anger and irritation at times with Molly and, and, and with other people. Bitterness and hurt in my heart towards some people in the church family who had done some things to me. An overreaction to people at times. Have you ever heard the saying, when you have a $100 reaction to a $10 issue, you got to figure out where the other $90 came from? <laughs> well, that had been me on occasion. $100 reactions to $10 issues, where's the other $90 coming from? And man, I could go on just seeing some bad fruits in my life, and it felt to me like they were coming from a very deep place. From kind of the core of my being, some deep reasons behind these sins that I couldn't see. So I started praying a couple years ago, Lord, prune me deep. Not even really knowing what I was asking for when I started praying that. There's a line in the Valley of Vision, a little prayer book. Thomas actually texted me the line one day, and it was exactly the same thing. The line in the book said, quarry us deep, Lord. And fill us with your spirit. That's my prayer. Lord, quarry me deep. I don't know what's going on. Why is this stuff here? I started telling Molly, I feel like I need God to peel my onion in some ways. Get below the surface. What's going on there? And God slowly began to do something I didn't expect. He began to take me in some ways back to my past. Back to my family, my upbringing, the things that happened to me in the past, the things that I did in the past. It started with a couple of Christian books that I was reading. You know how God works and he could just start to piece things together. Reading a couple of books and they didn't have anything to do with each other. But all of a sudden in both of the books they began to talk about the impact that our family and childhood experiences have on us. Looking at emotional, physical, intellectual, spiritual, sexual abandonment or or invasion that takes place in our lives. And as I'm reading these books, a couple light bulbs started to go off in my, my mind. I could tell God was kind of beginning to pry a little bit uh, in, in some really good ways and, and yet also in some really painful ways back into my past. So I eventually met with a pastor who's a full-time counselor at this point. Not ashamed to say that I met with a counselor. I am a pastor, but that doesn't mean that I've graduated from grace. I need more grace and healing today, just like every last Christian here in this room. And I could have gone 
to one of our elders, and I have since then, but I just knew I needed somebody who knew how to deal with the past, who had experience in dealing with the past. So I found somebody. Man, if John Piper could go to a Christian counselor, <laughs> well, then I figured I could too. Uh, and I did. And man, one thing, uh, i just talk you through it. Just imagine how painful this might be. Uh, one thing the council had me do was just on a poster board, moving from birth up to present day. I'm 48 years old now, so moving from birth up to present day, I was supposed to draw a picture of each really significant event of my life, focusing on those events that were traumatic in some way. The painful things, the hidden, shameful things, all the pain, the junk in my past. And even as I drew it out, I felt like the Lord was beginning to connect some dots for me, turn on some light bulbs for me, all of a sudden seeing these possible connections between my past and some present day fruit. And I then sat down with this counselor and talked through that poster board uh, while he asked me some deep and uh, very insightful (laughs) and extremely painful questions at times. Not easy for me to do. Many of those things in my past that I shared with him, I had never really talked about with anyone in detail. I've definitely talked with people about my past, tons. But a lot of it has been very general. I've talked with Molly about everything in my past, especially since we've been married. She knows everything about me. And I've talked with her about everything in my past, generally about some of it. But here's the thing. The shame is in the details. The shame is in the details, not in the generalities. And many of the details of my past, the things that carry the most pain and shame for me, I had never shared those details with any other human being. I did not have, I did not have a hugely traumatic childhood like some people. No major abuse in my life or anything like that, but there was still a lot of junk in my past. Things I did or didn't receive from others that caused wounds in my soul, things I had done that caused wounds in my soul. And I have done a lot of shameful stuff in my past that I am not proud of to this day. And I had buried the details of a lot of it. I was born into a very good family for the most part. Loved my dad and my mom. Loved my older brother, younger sister to to this day. Lots of good memories, lots of healthy things in our home and in my surroundings. But there was a, a lot of brokenness in my home. A lot of brokenness in my surroundings. Brokenness that other people outside of our family didn't see because my family was great at hiding it. I remember several very painful things in my life around my first grade year that were hugely influential and shaping in my life, and I was scared to talk about them with my parents, so I didn't. I also didn't feel as a kid 
like I could share my emotions with my father. And my father loves me a ton, but he lives out of his own brokenness, and it was hard for him to do that. I just didn't feel I could share my emotions with my father. I couldn't be honest with him about the deep things in my life. Couldn't ask him for help with that stuff. So I learned to stuff a lot of emotion around my dad. I also didn't feel like my father loved me very much. Now he did, and he showed it in his own way, definitely. I didn't feel it a lot of times, and I learned very early how to perform. I learned how to succeed at things in order to get some affirmation from my father. Which made me stuff things all the more because I didn't want him to see the junk in my life. And as I grew older, other things happened in my life. I did other things. And really, by the time I was 20, I was was incredibly angry towards my father. I think I'd gone so long and just not known who he was. I still don't really know. I told him that a week ago, that I don't really know him. I don't feel like he knows me. And it's one of the greatest pains of my life. And you know, for 15 years of my life, from first grade until I was 20 or so, I I told no one about the hidden parts of my life. No one. The hidden back room that we all have. The back 10% that we don't tell people. And when I came to Christ during my early years, I knew that I was forgiven of all my sin, but I still didn't share it with anyone until I was 20 or so, a very godly pastor. I felt safe with him, and I began to open up with him about some of my past, but still not the details of my past. And over the next 25 years after that, I was pretty open about the stuff in my life, open about the stuff in my past generally, but again, the shame is in the details. And I'm telling you what, all of a sudden, within the last couple of years, after 48 years of life with this person sitting in the room with me, I was suddenly sharing all of the painful, shameful details of my past. And when I did, I wept uncontrollably. So much pain and other emotions just bubbling to the surface. Felt like I was vomiting. And it felt so terrible and yet so incredibly good to get it up. That's vomiting. (laughs) You don't want to do it. You don't want to put your face by a toilet. But man, after you do it, you feel so much better. And since that time, I've been sharing a lot more of the painful, shameful details of my past with lots of people. My wife, Molly. So blessed to have a wife who hears it all and loves me. The other elders, again, people who are safe and love me. My life group members, been opening up with them. And now a little bit with you. And I'm doing it today because I think it's important. It's important for me as a pastor to boast in weakness at times. It's important for my own healing. It's important for your own healing. Because here's the thing. We all have a past. And whatever's true about your past is true. You can hide it. You can deny it. 
You can cover it up. You can blame other people for it. But whatever is true is true. Your past is the past. And when you finally stop running from it and open up your life to God and other people, you open up that hidden back room, that hidden 10%, those details you never share, and you open up and begin to share, God can do some amazing things in your life. Since I finally began to open up about this past, man, God has been applying the gospel to my heart in some new and amazing ways. You know, you can hear the gospel a zillion times. You can hear people look at you and proclaim, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. But if half of your life is hidden, it sounds hollow to you. Yes, but if Jesus knew, he wouldn't love me. But when all of your stuff is on the table laid out, and Jesus Christ then looks at you and says, I love you. I choose you. I saw all of that when I went to the cross. I died for you. I love you. That explodes into deeper places of your heart that have never sensed the gospel before. You know what that's called? Grace. Grace is Jesus looking at all of you, the good and the bad, laid out on the table before him, the both and of you, And he says, I love you. I chose you. That's grace. And here's the thing. Jesus has ordained that that powerful message of grace would be spoken to you by other human beings. The body of Christ. As I've opened up more of my past with the people I feel safe to do it with, my wife, elders, life group, you know what they've done? They haven't pulled away from me. They've moved toward me. Brad, we love you. We choose you. That message of grace spoken from Jesus coming through God's people and that gospel coin drops into the deep, dark place places in your soul and it begins to change you and God is pruning you in love pruning your past pruning your roots in order that you might bear more fruit and I can feel myself changing (laughs) daily having opened up true fellowship and I think God probably wants to prune your past too We all have a past, and whatever's true about your past is true. You can hide it, deny it, run from it, act like it's not there, cover it up, but whatever's true is true. Your past is what it is. And many of your present-day sins are probably rooted in your past, and God wants to heal your past. God wants to apply the gospel to those dark areas of your soul. If you want to go forward in the Christian life, sometimes you have to go backwards. It's not easy. Pruning the past is painful. In order to heal it, you have to feel it. And that hurts. I can't tell you how many times I've cried over the last few months. It hurts. The tree in my front yard, it is still weeping sap. It looks like a mess. Oh my word. But do you know what comes later? 
that tree bears more fruit because it's gone through the pruning process. It's gone through the weeping. And if you will allow God to prune your past, you'll bear more fruit. I'm going to encourage you to do something in order for God to prune your past. Listen, you have to crack the door a little bit into that back room. Nobody can do that for you. You have to open it. You know, we're like clams. We're shut up because we're afraid we'll get killed if we open up. But you don't have any nourishment when you're shut up. And you have to open in order for nourishment to come in. You have to crack that back room. Crack your past a little bit. We're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to go ahead and invite Levi and the other worship team members up front here at this time. We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning just in some quiet reflection and prayer. I would ask you to seriously do it. To quiet your heart and push distractions away. And sit for a minute before the Lord and reflect before Him. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to move across this room, to move in our hearts. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to shine a searchlight into your past. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight two or three or four things in your past. The things the Holy Spirit wants to highlight, whatever they are, those places where some roots formed in your life and you're still feeling it in the way your sin acts out today. I don't know what they are for you, those traumatic, painful, shameful things. Maybe something you did. Or maybe it's something that was done to you. Or maybe it was something you didn't receive that in God's perfect world you would have received going to ask the Lord to highlight those two or three or four things for you. I want to encourage you. Wait upon the Lord. Let Him highlight them. I trust He will. And write them down or just file them away in your brain. And I'm going to ask you to take a courageous step and share those things with at least one other person that feels safe to you. That may be your spouse. Maybe it's a close friend. I'll encourage you to share them in your life group DNAs. Your DNA group in your life group, that little DNA group, it should be strictly confidential. What you share in that group, it does not go out to any other person. That should be safe people and a safe place for you. And I'm going to ask all of our DNA groups to consider setting aside intentional time and you share with one another about your past. The walk of sanctification is not just about being open about your sins today. It's about being open about your brokenness in the past. And I'll ask our DNA groups to get together and intentionally set aside time and share those two or three things that the Holy Spirit has highlighted. Share them with other people. Weep if you need to. Some of you need to weep today. You have pain. You have grief. 
you have sorrow. Some of you mourn a father who wasn't really there. Some of you mourn the sins that you committed. And you trust they're forgiven, but you still have a sense of shame with those things. Some of you mourn the fact that you weren't able to share your emotions and stuff done. I don't know what it is for you, but it's there, that grief, that sadness. And to heal it, you have to feel it. And you might weep. But if you will crack the door, the gospel will penetrate your soul and Jesus will touch your soul in new ways. Let's pray.